Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest is an expert in the value of your values, specifically how to communicate them in a way that drives your business and ensures you hire and retain the right people. Oh my gosh, do we need that today as we talk about the great resignation and the things that are going on during and post pandemic. Her talent for creating relationships became apparent when the city of Manchester, England suffered a devastating bombing. She got heavily involved in rebuilding the city center and over the years has played an important part in helping to regenerate that city center. Her commitment to purpose-driven work is exemplified by her We Built This City podcast, a podcast series which hears from Manchurians. Manchurians? Manchurians? Mancunians. Man- you listen to why, how Lisa said it, because obviously I've got to, I'm struggling with that. <laughs> Born, bred, and adopted people from Manchester, I'll just put it that mm-hmm. way, yes, who put the heart back into Greater Manchester. Her podcast won the best business podcast by British Podcast Awards. And the podcast celebrates stories of determination, loyalty, and diversity across culture, arts, politics, sports, music, and business. Other recent awards include PR and Marketing Agency of the Year, Marketing Personality of the Year, and Best PR Social Agency Campaign, and several more. There were there were many more that I, I'm just not going to list. So please welcome from across the pond, the CEO and founder of Roland Dransfield, Lisa Morton. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Dr. Gary. Thank you for having me. And it's definitely Mancunian. <laughs> Mancunian. Yeah. I think I got it. Okay. That's great. So Lisa, talk to me a little bit about, I, I, I want to get into the work that you've done with the city of Manchester, but you, you started a PR firm and I'm, I'm assuming you started that and then you got into all this other stuff, but talk, talk, give me a little bit about your background so that we can kind of lead into this work that you're doing with the city and why. Sure. So I actually started the business one month after that bomb, which we'll we'll talk about later. And I'd always wanted to have my own business. I had been in two other PR companies before I started my business off. But my business is called Roland Dransfield. And that is the name of my godfather. Um, and my godfather actually met my dad when my dad was a mechanic and he was servicing his cars. And Roland had come from nothing and and done very, very well for himself. And in my dad, my dad's service of his cars, he saw somebody that had some really great work ethics. And so ultimately he gave dad a job. And then Roland was a really big part of my life. And one day he always used to say to me, Lisa, you have to have your own business because job is, means just over broke. So um, one day he came to my mum's house with um, a bucket and a sponge on a Sunday morning. And he said to me, "Um, okay, you're in business. 
you've got a car washing round, so go out today and go and wash the neighbours' cars. And if you've made enough money to pay me back for the bucket and the sponge when you finished, you're in profit. If you've not, you need to go again. So I was in profit and I can't remember how much it cost. None of the family can remember how much it was, which is really like really frustrating. But I had that car washing round till I was 15. And then I fell in love with shoes and I got a job in a shoe shop, which was much warmer. And so when I set the business up, I wanted to name it after Roland because he'd been so instrumental in me understanding values and understanding work ethic um, and understanding the value of purposeful relationships. And ultimately, I changed PR to purposeful relationships because I realized that it is those fundamentally great, strong relationships which create the magic in the world. And he was a man that did that. So I'm you know, very honoured to have had a business. It's 25 years it's been named after him. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. When you talk about you know, our lives and the people that, that influence our lives, you know, a lot of people will talk about their parents and other people around it. But when you have somebody like this, a mentor and someone who, who's done it, you see, you get the opportunity to see that they've done it. And I, I don't want to lose what you said. You, you spoke pretty quickly over this on job, just over broke. Yeah. And, and that was, that's a true entrepreneur's perspective <laughs> on having a job. And I don't, I don't want people to think that, you know, having a job is a bad thing. That was just his philosophy, it you was. know, and that's what he instilled in you. And I love this. He taught you entrepreneurship by giving you the resources to go out and start a job, right? Go wash cars. Mm -hmm. And if you have more money that goes out than came in, you have a profit, right? <laughs> Let's see, did I say that right? No, more money that comes in that goes yeah. out. Let's get it right. Yeah. And and uh, we call that profit. And that's the first thing you have to learn as an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, at a very early age. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, that taught me so much very quickly without me knowing that I was learning those lessons, um, you know, at eight years old, you're learning to take the nose, how to negotiate, because not everybody wanted to pay the same amount of money. Um, you know, it taught you about delivery and service and, and building relationships because it's about people. And, you know, there's, I'm not saying there are other car washers of my age in the area, but, you know, they'll, they'll let you wash the car because they like you and they understand what you're doing and like your work, work ethics. And so it, it stood me in really great stead throughout. And I often think about, and I can remember the first day going out to wash that first car and how frightening it was knocking on that door. I think I might get a no. Yeah. Well, not only, not only the no, but let's, let's ask you, did you get a no the second time around? In other words, <laughs> you washed the car, but maybe you didn't do a great job. I mean, you were young and maybe there were certain parts you couldn't reach. And, you know, so they'll give you the money because you're young the first time, but did you get it the second time? I think when I was younger, I got the money. When I was older, you know, if you'd had, you know, a, a late night or you weren't feeling it and I did a lot of sport and all that kind of stuff. So on a Sunday when it came to the car washing round, quite often I was tired. So if, if I missed the, the rims of the wheels, they were never my favorite bit to get in those, you know, the, <laughs> the alloys. The hard part, right? That was a hard bit. So I had to realize that, you know, yeah, if you, they, they would go around and inspect the car. So it did make you realize that you can't cut corners. And if you do, you know, it's my other, the other expression that Roland had was um, it's a long summer, but a short career. So, you know, you might get the, the returns in the short term, but if you don't practice that service and that quality over a long period of time, it reduces how long you can, you know, you can be in the game. Yeah, that's that's a great lesson. I've I've talked to her when I was in sales and marketing often. I said, look, people, we can sell it. We can find a way to sell it quite often because you can you can always sell something by reducing the price. 
but can you get it a second time because operations is able to deliver it in a, in a service mm-hmm. and quality that's needed and expected by the customer. So it, it takes two in the party in order to be able to make things happen, right? Both sales, marketing, and operations have to all work together. It's, that's really, it's, such a, it's so true. And actually, as you're saying that, um, I think that probably stood me in good stead because at that time, and, and again, when I started my own business, you know, I had to be sales, operations, and marketing at the same time. And we've all got one of those, you know, we have got our superpower, which is one of those three usually. But in those early days, you've got to be prepared to get good or good enough at all of those to, to be able to do the lot, haven't you? When you've not got an army of people around you who have got those specialist skill sets. Yeah. So how did you make the transition from having all those skills? And, and this is a typical entrepreneur story, right? We go from uh, doing all of it, doing the sales, marketing and delivery and, and taking care of that. And then if you're going to build a business, if you're going to be a true entrepreneur, you get out of delivery and out of sales and out of marketing and you run the company, you create a strategy, you hire people, you get them involved in the firm. And by the way, I, again, you, you said it very quickly. I don't want to miss the changing PR mm-hmm. from its traditional definition to purposeful relationships. Mm-hmm. When did that come to you? Probably about six years ago. Mm. And I think that came maybe a bit longer ago than that. It came with the recognition that PR in its traditional sense had changed dramatically. And I think it tra- changed dramatically around about the, the, the banking crisis, 2008, when we found from a consultancy point of view that people weren't spending the last dollar on, on PR or, or because it wasn't measurable. Mm-hmm. And so therefore digital, you know, digital activity, digital social media became very important. But, and, and we did pivot into that and we got the skill sets around that that we didn't have before because then we could justify to clients that we were getting that uh, return on investment for them. Um, but what it made me realize is the fact that all of it is about building relationships. So, you know, it's just the platform that you use that's different. And in understanding, you know, how you need to communicate and where you need to communicate and who to, ultimately, that's all about creating long-lasting, um, memorable and and solid relationships with people. So, for me, that's what we do. I see ourselves now as a business that creates relationships and legacies and all of that's done with purpose. So, that's really defined how we show up as a business, mm-hmm. as a business entity. And then also everybody within the organization, um, you know, subscribes to that that purpose too. So when you changed your purpose from being public relations and kind of marketing to really developing relationships, what happened to your business? It flourished massively. (laughs) I felt so much more happy about getting up every day knowing that, that I'm building relationships and that relationships excite me. You know, I, I love the magic of putting two people or two businesses together and and seeing the magic happen. That's, and, you know, I have people that come to me and it always surprises me, but somebody came to me not long ago and said, oh, you know, you introduced us to the Prince's Trust, which is a, a fabulous um, charity in the UK um, 15 years ago. And we've managed to raise probably 10 million with the, for them by, by now. And I'd forgotten about that connection that I'd made. So, um, yeah, we absolutely, every day, we are literally 
concentrating on who can we connect with who next and how can we we create those relationships that last and it may be that we do that um around a lunch we might do it in an event we might do it through media we might do it through um instagram so it just literally depends on where we need to find and how we need to have those conversations with people which then we'll choose a platform to do it uh, and it's so much more joyful than being a social media marketing agency or a pr company Right. Yeah. So let's let's take it one step further and deeper and talk about the value of values, because I'm assuming that one of the things that you do and what makes you successful is you connect these different companies that have similar values, similar missions, similar directions, and they just resonate. They 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 synchronize each other and they, you know, so when you see two organizations or two people, right, because organizations don't work with organizations, mm. people work with mm. people. Yeah. And when they have the same values, they just automatically kind of fit in, fit in with each other. It just, you meet somebody, you're like, oh my God, this is awesome. It's so easy to work with these people, right? <laughs> so you, you get to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, we do that. And, and then you're right, you know, it's just a, I suppose, a subconscious feeling in some cases that you just think this, this business leader is going to absolutely gel with this business leader or this not-for-profit leader. And that's when the, when the real magic happens, when you can get um, corporates or business leaders who have got money to spend and to support um, charitable organizations because their values are the same. Um, and that's, that's so important now. And I think more now than you know, before the pandemic, we've, people don't really care how well you're doing as a business. They, they care how, how well you're doing for things for other people. Yeah. So we've seen a real uptick in businesses who are really digging into their values and really listening to what their teams, their internal teams and their stakeholders want to see. Mm. Um, and whether or not it's a natural progression for them or not, um, they've certainly realized the importance of starting to to create those ripples in the world and by using their brands and their platforms to, to, to do that. And that's where we come in and we can help because we've done it for 25 years and we were doing it before we realized we were doing it. And then we, you know, we went through a, a period about six years ago where we did reset all our values as an organization and so we, we, yeah, we bought the talk. And so I know that I'm a happier person now since we did that piece of work and that our business is a happier and more successful organization than it was before we did the work. I think it also gives you an opportunity to express what you do and how you do it in a much clearer way, right? Because when you talk about we're, we're really developing pur purposeful relationships. You know, what is, how does it, how do you do that? Well, you sit down, like you said, you have lunch, you talk to somebody and you, you're not sitting there talking about their business. You're talking about what's important to you as a person. You know, if you're a leader in a, in a business and, and what's important to Lisa, what's important to these clients? Because then your brain starts to kind of go crazy because you're sitting there and go, oh, you're, oh, this is important to you. This, oh, you need to be talking to so-and-so. You become a conduit and they automatically see the value and they say, oh, you know what, Lisa, I know we're here to talk about like marketing and how you do that and everything, but these connections add value to our life. What can we do with you? And all of a sudden, it just becomes this this snowball effect, yeah. right? And and your ability to be able to communicate that clearly 
really helps. So that's really the value of values. It's you've got to get to know them. You've got to build a relationship to understand what their values are so you can make those connections and to clarify the message that they're taking to the market. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious if you can share a story, if you can think of one where you've talked to people about these values and you've had this eureka moment where you're like, you know, somebody talked to you about their values, what's important, how you connected. And maybe let's go back to what we talked about with the city of Manchester and how you've helped rebuild that and bring people together with a common purpose after not just this, this one bombing that you talked about, but you just, you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. to me when we were talking something more recent that's Mm -hmm. happened within the last few years, another devastating situation in Manchester. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what I would say is Manchester is known as a city and greater Manchester. So we have Manchester, which is the the wards in central Manchester and then greater Manchester is is a much bigger um, conurbation. But one thing that we're known for is collaboration and pulling together in times of adversity. And that goes through our history in terms of, you know, back to the industrial revolution and the cotton trade and the slave trade where we boycotted the importation of of cotton, even though we needed cotton to survive because of the way that um, it was impacting, um, well, the impact it had in the slave trade. So, and so when the bomb, the bomb went off in um, 1996, it was an IRA bomb, terrorist bomb, and it it blew up the centre of Manchester. Now, fortunately, Nobody was injured because there was a, there was a warning, so the police were able to act very quickly and evacuate the centre. But it did completely decimate a big part of our built environment there, and that gave an opportunity for the city to really rethink and re, re, re-engineer what we needed and was going to be a more future-looking city. And at that point. Um, Suddenly, we were involved in the, the civic sector, so with politicians, um, with with public servants, and businesses, private organisations who wanted to, to contribute to that rebuild because they were building for the next say twenty five years. And then five years ago, almost to the day, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we had a horrendous terrorist attack on the arena in Manchester, which is our big music venue, and twenty two people who were concert goers um, at Ariana Grande concert were, were, were killed uh, by a, a terrorist and it was it was devastating. Mm. And at that point again, you know, the city, again, some of those relationships from the past um, however many years, they, people pulled together, uh, people just, you know, looked at what other people needed, um, supported the families and there was a real coming together Um, There was street art, there was, you know, memorial services. And it's at those times, I think, and again, with the pandemic, we had a huge amount of poverty, people's businesses, young, you know, we lost 19 million school days just in Manchester. So Mm. through the pandemic, so it was how we come together as a community to support all of that. And because we'd done the work already, because lots of businesses had done the work already by creating that network, we were able to support massively um, and again it's to see that magic happen when there is adversity is really important so I believe that we have a duty as leaders every single day to be thinking about what connections can we make who who can we connect together what collaborations can we achieve yeah yeah it's it, it's the the work of the leader is the work of being a human it's just helping each other caring for each other showing empathy and and I think when it comes down to it, we just have to. I mean, it's not, 
it's not a question of if or or when it's we have to uh, pull together and i've often said i was just talking to somebody this morning about some of the things going on in the world right now with uh, ukraine and russia and they asked the question one of one of the mothers that i was uh, meeting with their eight-year-old son asked the question well what if what if russia attacks us and uh, as I was talking to her, I, I said, well, you know, I just want to say this. I, first of all, so that you know, I, I served in the Army. My four brothers, my father, my son, and I have 108 years of military service. And Russia does not want to mess with us. Because this country is like Manchester. You talk about greater. When a, a tragedy occurs, it pulls people together. You know, and Russia really doesn't want to do that. I mean, and they didn't, I don't think they realized how the Ukraine was as together as they were, or how this country that fights all the time, the Democrats and Republicans come together. You know, they think that we're divided about all this stuff. And we come across as being divided in the United States about a lot of things because we have freedom of speech and people say funny and sometimes stupid things, but that's our right to be able to do that. And, and yet when things happen that hit us in the heart, we step up. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. that's what it sounds like you did. How, what, what caused you to take action, though? I mean, you, here you are. You hadn't even started your business yet. You said it happened a month before. You started your business. And most people sit on the sidelines. They see tragedies happen, and they expect the government, they expect the public services to handle all this stuff. But you made a different decision. You decided to get involved in this. What, what caused you to do that, to take that kind of action? I just think it, it's... It's who I am as a person. I mean, that's for, for me. Oh, wait a minute. It's your values? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. It's demonstrating your values? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, one of our values is plant trees you'll never see. And that's my favorite value. And, you know, it's it's about leaving a legacy out of respect for those who follow. And I do believe that it is our duty as leaders um, to use, and as human beings, to use the resources that we have to create more resources and for other people. And we all know people who have made great wealth, very been very successful, and then they spend the time after they've made that wealth as enjoying those resources for themselves. And I just think that is a loss of purpose. It's a loss of use as a human being that we just enjoy the stuff we've made for ourselves. That's, you know, there are so I always think that, you know, as a business leader, and, and as, a, as a human being, again, it's not just about what we do on a daily basis or the, the piece of work that's in front of us that's our job. It's how do we how do we use that work? How do we do the work to, to, to create a better, you know, part of our world, better part of our community? Who can we help? Who can we inspire? You know, what do we want people to say about us when you know, we leave the room? And then when we leave the big room, when, when we leave this, this earth, what what imprints have we left? And that's, you know, it's got to be, it's our duty to make that a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And it, to your point, what are people going to say when they leave the room? I always tell people that everybody, everybody adds energy to the room. Mm. Some people, when they walk in the room, some people, when they walk out, it's just, okay, it just depends on your perspective. (laughs) And if you want to, if you want to add energy, when you walk in the room, then know what you stand for, live for that. And hopefully when you live, you live your purpose, that purpose has something to do with helping others Mm. because there's really no other reason for being here. I'm with you. It's not about stuff. It's about us. No. So good, good stuff. So 
where where are you going from here? What what excites you about this this purposeful relationship organization that you run? And what what's what's your passion now? What are you working on? Well, what excites me is the fact that I can see tangible return on investment of our investment in in life. I mean, it's it seems it sounds kind of evangelical, but I have to say is that all the team that are in our organization and the people that associate with our organization, they've, they've got a buzz about them. They are excited and they're all curious, which I love. We're all curious. We have a tribe of people around us who are curious about how we can add value and what can we do next. I and mean, just yesterday, we had a huge football, so soccer game in, in Manchester that was uh, celebrities and football legends, so some really big names. And it was a voluntary game to, to to raise money for some of the charities of the victims of that Manchester Arena attack five years ago. And everybody involved with that, us included, did all that work pro bono. And you had some of the biggest names in football who came, no fees. Uh, we got the media. It was a huge amount of coverage and we're just totting up now how much money has been raised. You know, I was sitting there with the new leader of the council who took over office just this year and she took over from the previous leader who was around at the bomb and the arena attack. And, you know, you've got this sitting there in, in the stand. At the, it's actually Manchester City football ground, which and I'm a United fan, so I had to do that with the goodness of my heart. It was a big rivalry. <laughs> um, but to sit there and just have some of the people who's who've lost loved ones in, in that attack and mm. media and footballers and celebrities and staff from the city city football club coming together to make something to make something good out of something horrendous that that was such a beautiful thing to to sit and be part of and know that you you know we were approached by Manchester City Club to say Roland Ransville would you help us do this um we were like yeah it's an honor you know straight away so and that was just this weekend. So there's, there are other lots and lots of other things that are coming up. So that's the stuff that excites me and where we can connect really strong, profitable businesses with those charitable organizations, which we did in this case. So we got a lot of sponsorship for that that game. You know, that's you've, you've done your work. You can go to bed that night knowing that you've, you've moved the needle a bit that day. And, 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 and then that inspires you to get up and do it the next day. Yeah. Do it again. Do it again. It, it's. I've I've said many times when people are a little down, they're not quite feeling. You know, with this pandemic, you know, last year people were languishing. This year, people are struggling. Yeah. You know, and I say, look, if you if you're really struggling, and you don't know what to do, go find something that you could do to help somebody else. Just anybody. Go go. You know, go to the soup kitchen. Go to the restore and help or the Habitat for Humanity here. Whatever you can do. You know, give blood, you know, <laughs> at the Red Cross, anything that you can give something. And that giving you will come back to you tenfold if you don't expect anything to come back. Yeah. Just yeah. do something for somebody else. If you can't do something for yourself, do something for somebody else. And that sounds like your whole mission of a purposeful relationship and the work that you do within your company, but beyond your company with Manchester and those relationships and all those people, it's just got to warm your heart. It does. And it, and it gives you team purpose. And, and if you look at some of the, you know, the big brands that, you know, they, they, they've, they understand the importance of doing this. They understand that if they want 
the right team. They want to recruit the right people. And we know that recruitment and trying to get the right people at the moment is so difficult. Um, you've got to have something more than just be another type of business in your sector. You know, we give volunteering days to all of our team paid um, with some of our team. We're going to be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in October for uh, a foundation called Scared to Death, just agreed today, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is for a standing tall foundation, which is for amputees. And we're, we're climbing with an amazing guy called Andy Reid, who is a triple amputee, and he was uh, lost three limbs in Afghanistan. And he raises money to help create a supportive environment for, for you know people who have struggled. And his whole team that actually put him back together again after that, that um, bomb Mm. are going to climb with him and with us. So, you know, we've got our team. And then, so we've got two clients hopefully coming with us on that, but we're doing a big fundraiser. And it just, those things create momentum, don't they? It creates awareness of that particular cause. And and I think in terms of you looking at your supply chain and your stakeholders, you will automatically bring to you the, the people you want to do work with and repel those that, you, you know, that if you didn't have your values so intact and if you didn't have your purpose so clear, you'd have to do a lot more sorting than we have to do, for example, as a business. Well, it's it's funny. I had uh, an associate of mine years ago say, you know, ask me the question about the work that we do in leadership, and she said, "Well, how do we convince the people that you know don't that really need it, but they they don't really want it?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "We don't. See, what we do is we want to go to people that that have a certain level of humbleness and humility. And when I say we get rid of bad bosses." And they say, how do you do that? And I said, well, we try to make them into good bosses and great leaders with compassion and accountability. When we look at people that we want to work with, say, look, do you want to, to follow a leadership definition of building relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassion and accountability? We're going to move people, move the needle from good bosses to great leaders. Do you want to do that? If you don't want to do that. Oh, and by the way, we do it a little bit in your face, Lisa, I have to tell you, it's like, you know, I'm going to hold a mirror up and I'm going to tell people when you said that, I just want you to know, what was the impact on the people around you? And they say, well, I'm not sure. Okay. Can I give you a suggestion? You go, yeah. All right. It was stupid. All right. It was just a bad thing to say. And here's why, you know, and I might not, uh, I will say the statement is stupid. I won't tell the person I'm not going to get personal, but the fact of the matter is people need to hear this as leaders. They need to know what's, what's effective and ineffective. What works and what doesn't work? What are you doing to build compassion and accountability? And if you don't want to do that, go somewhere else. Mm, okay. Totally. And yeah. I think you're, I agree with that. And I think you're right. That there's a real difference between being a boss and being a leader. I mean, mm-hmm. you can be a boss just by the fact that you've been in an organization for 25 years, but it doesn't mean to say you're a leader. And what we found with one of the reasons I did put those values into place in, in my business was because... I felt that we had bosses in the business that had been a, that I had, you know, we had recruited because they had experience in certain sectors or they had a certain skill set. But the agenda that they brought with them after that honeymoon period was out of the way was toxic. Mm. And yeah, I had people in the team who were true leaders, but who were younger, maybe you know, a year's experience, true leaders. You could see that, you know, and they were perhaps, you know, they were leaders in their in the sports that they did outside of the office or. 
Um, but they were stopping from um, the setup we had as a business was stopping them from leading because yeah. of the hierarchy of those bosses in place. And then when we put the, the the values in place and we worked as a team with every single level of person in that business, the thing flipped. We could actually empower people who were true leaders and we actually could take away the power of the bosses because they couldn't show up against the values that we'd set for ourselves. Um, and the hierarchy went in that respect because leadership shone through at whatever age or, 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 you know, background or whatever you were from, you were a leader because you were leading on the values of the organization. There was no argument. Well, the values give you a basis to hold them accountable to, mm. right? Before mm. that, it's your opinion. Yeah, now, they exactly. might have been your values, but your values expressed in some kind of opinion saying, well, this person, they, they don't fit our values. They don't, they're, they're not nice. Yeah. They're not the right person. And somebody can look at, yeah, they're not. And people complain and blah, blah, blah. You know, But once you have the value, you can say, look, you're violating our value of respect. You're violating our value of teamwork. That's got to stop. Mm-hmm. We're going to hold you accountable to that. Mm-hmm. And if it's not their value, you can tell it's not authentic. It doesn't come across. And they're forcing it. And the people know that it's that way. And I, I, I tell people all the time, look, if you want to promote somebody within an organization, the people at the highest level of the organization that are selecting the person to promote are the absolute wrong people to make that decision. <laughs> it's the people lower in the organization that can point to the natural leaders that can say, oh, you know, I'll follow Lisa. Let's yeah. let's promote Lisa. Now, Lisa's going to have, you know, you're going to have your, your strengths and your limitations and so on. But at least you're starting out with someone that they want to follow. <laughs> I love it. It's so true. Right? So, so true. I, I still, to this day, it astounds me with some organizations that don't have a clear stated mission and values and don't understand the need for that. And the organizations, I'm working with an organization, a technology organization right now that just did this within the last year. It has changed the culture because mm-hmm. the CEO can hold himself and others accountable for those values. And it's changed the way they talk to each other. And a couple of the people, like you were saying, that were a little abusive in their verbal discussions with people is no longer accepted and it's forcing them to either change or get out yeah on the bus or off the bus that's what yeah exactly and it also means that um your team are empowered to call that behavior out so as you said just a minute ago it's not subjective it's not i don't like this behavior therefore stop it you know we one of our values is sweep the sheds and that's from the all blacks rugby team and they go after every game once they celebrated what they've done on the field, they come back and they they do the they clean their own changing rooms. So when we brought sweep the sheds in, it meant that somebody who was an apprentice with six months experience could say to one of the you know the top directors, "I'm not cleaning your coffee cups out of the boardroom. You know you need to go and sweep the sheds because I'm going own. in there now." And but it was a joke. It was fun in a way. So it really gave it was humour, and it became the fact that we could all, as you say, all hold each other accountable, no matter how what our pay grade was, and that that was life changing. You know, and I'm, I'll take it one step further. We had these kinds of values with my family, with my with my sons. It was do what's right, do your best, treat others as they want to be treated. You know, and we had them up on the on the. They they talk about it today with their own kids. I don't know if they always like it, but at least they. And we said it doesn't matter if somebody violates this. You can hold us accountable as the parents. I mean, this is not hierarchical. This is a a, a standard of, of values that need that everybody needs to follow. Mm-hmm. So if I would. I, I remember a couple of times I'd raise my voice at my oldest son. He goes, 
dad, dad. And I go, why that that's, you're not, you're not being respectful to me. That's not the way I want to be treated. I don't want to listen to you yell. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. right. So he would hold me accountable. And, <laughs> and most of the time I would calm down most of the time, but I, you know, <laughs> well, we have one of those when we find that we may be coming away from our values and one of them is admit it, fix it, move on. Mm. And that is a bit like the Japanese right. art of kintsugi. So when you mend something broken with gold, I think that's the, the tradition. The, the thing can become more beautiful after the, the error, after the mistake, because the recognition, the humility around that, the, the, you know, the humbleness of that recognition and the acceptance that we're all going to get some stuff wrong it doesn't matter because we're coming from a place of understanding and then let's just look at how we improve that next time. And it's not, we would say it's not a cop out. It's not an excuse. It's a, it's a personal professional piece of development there, which is beautiful in itself with no blame. I love it. I, I admit it is the first step because if, if a leader can't do it, then you've got a boss, you don't have a leader. So, yeah. so Lisa, I want to finish up today with my final question that I always ask people. And, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you earlier, but I have a feeling you're going to be able to answer it right off the top of your head. Cause if you could write yourself a letter and go back 25 years and send this back to Lisa and it says, dear Lisa, what would you tell yourself that you would like to have told yourself 25 years ago? What would you, what advice would you give Lisa? There's two things I have to say. And the first one is that boundaries are not a negative thing and that you should be proud of boundaries. So I think I was brought up to, it was a little bit conflicting in terms of the way my parents perhaps set me up as a young person in terms of my dad was very entrepreneurial, but my mum was very much goes the back of the queue and once you've served everybody else then you can come forward that's the polite thing to do and I think that was of a, a time it's a working class thing in in perhaps mm -hmm. England at the time and as a result of that I found it difficult through my certainly through my when I started to get into my own business and my working career that that boundary piece is and when is too much empathy too much empathy so I think I would definitely tell my younger self be proud of your boundaries, promote your boundaries, because they're your non-negotiables and they're mm -hmm. a good thing. It's not a negative mm -hmm. thing. And when we set the values, as we did six, seven years ago, then then I started to celebrate my boundaries and, and life is much better. And yeah. then the other thing I would say to myself, and this is only something that I probably got to really grips with maybe two years ago, is everything I need, I have. Mm. And I talk to my two kids my, my son's 23 in a couple of weeks and my daughter's just turned 21 and I talk to them about that that the stuff that you need is inside you um and when you feel that you need validation or you need to check in with 100 people to to figure out if what you're doing you're thinking is right back yourself because if it feels right to you it's right Mm -hmm. and everything you need you have and that's a really empowering and liberating way to live and I've found it <laughs> yeah that's great that's great well I, and and your, your comment about boundaries is very very important in companies as a friend of mine what once talked about the metaphor of being on a 40-story roof if you're on a 40-story roof and the and the the roof is 50 feet by 50 feet, but there's no walls, there's no fence, there's nothing. It's just a flat roof. And as you know, if that many stories, there's a probably about a 30 or 40 mile an hour wind up there. How free are you to move around the roof? 
You're not going to go running around. You're not going to get close to the edge. And some people said, I'm just going to lay down in the middle. I'm not going to move. Right now, if I put a 10 foot steel wall up, same roof, everything's the same. How free are you to, you could play a football game or a soccer game as we call it in America on that roof. And you would be, you'd feel safe because of the boundaries that you have. The boundaries create psychological safety for people. It creates psychological safety for you because it's clear for you what to say yes to and what to say no to instead of wondering, mm-hmm. gee, should I do this? Should I not do this? You may, after the fact, you say yes and you're like, man, I really shouldn't have done that. But the boundaries creates a, a platform for you to stand up for yourself and say, no, mm-hmm. that's the key to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Lisa Morton, CEO and founder of Roland Dransfield. And we found out that Roland is your godfather. I mean, that was a great story. I didn't I didn't realize that taught you an awful lot right from the beginning. Really, thank you for your wisdom, your thoughts. And one of the things that I try to do during the podcast is come up with what I'm going to call the podcast. And you said it right at the end. Admit it, fix it move on. I love that. And that's going to be the name of the podcast. So appreciate that. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me, Dr. Guy. I've really, I've really really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot myself and I love that boundary of the being on top of the skyscraper. I'm going to be using that. (laughs) Thank you. That's my good friend, Dr. Vito Stellato, who works with me that taught me that. So he's, he's a smart man. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for joining us again in this podcast, Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Thank you. Be good. Be great. And be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.